C.S. Lewis once said this, Psalm 19 is the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And I don't know, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but I find these quite beautiful lyrics. In fact, this psalm is, has got three distinct movements. And so the first one, David points out, he, re- he says that God has revealed himself in his world. The first line, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Now, what you need to know is whenever ancient writers wrote uh, about the heavens, they were referring to anything beyond planet Earth. So what we would call now as the universe or the cosmos, anything beyond what we see on this planet. And those ancient authors, they were very impressed when they looked up to the skies and when they looked up to the stars. Now, I don't know when you have um, gazed at the stars recently, but the night sky is very impressive, right? If you were to stand out on the clearest night, with your naked eye, you could see around about 3,000 stars. Some scientists have estimated that there are around 76 trillion stars in the universe. Now, to give you an idea of what type of number that is, that is 70 with 21 zeros after it, okay? Now get this, scientists have worked out that the number of stars in the universe, 76 trillion, is more than the total grains of sand on all the beaches of the world. In fact, if you pulled out one grain of sand, for every grain of sand there are 10,000 stars. Crazy, eh? So 1990, NASA launched the Hubble Space Telescope. And for the last 30 years, it's been traveling around uh, outside beyond our orbit, sending back images of deep space. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of these images, but they are spectacular. I just want to share some of them with you this morning. This is known as Nebula NGC 6302. Not a very exciting name. Kind of looks like a butterfly. This is a dying star. This, is, this star was actually five times the size of our sun, and it is exploding, it is spewing out radiation and gas and dust. In fact, the gas is at over 20,000 degrees, and that gas is traveling at one million kilometers per hour. This is NGC 2014 and NGC 2020. This is actually two stars being formed. So you can find these stars in the large Magellanic Cloud. It's a galaxy just on the edge of ours, on the edge of the Milky Way. It's about 163,000 light years away. A light year, that's the distance you can travel in one year traveling at the speed of light, which is pretty fast. So it's a long way away. Not as far as this. This is uh, NGC 346. It's uh, known as a star nursery. This is where stars are born where stars are formed. There's a whole region of star-forming clusters and stuff. This is in the small Magellanic Cloud. It's another galaxy close to ours, but uh, a little bit further away, 210,000 light years away. This is the Sombrero Galaxy. Any idea why it's called that? So it is the size of 800 billion suns. It would take you 50,000 light years to get from one side to the other. 
and it's about 30 million light years away from Earth. So you probably won't be going there this weekend. This is known as the antenna galaxies. There's actually two galaxies which uh, have crashed into each other. And so you see there the gas cloud is just spewing out dust and debris and the stars being formed and all that sort of craziness. It is 45 million light years away. It's a long way away. This is the spiral galaxy, a spiral galaxy. So it is 100,000 light years across. It is twice the size of the Sombrero galaxy. In fact, scientists don't really know what is in the middle. They assume that there is a black hole in the middle of that galaxy, but they're not sure. You don't need to worry about that swallowing us up, though. It's 61 million light years away, so it won't be getting here anytime soon. This is 10,000 galaxies. Now you might think, not much of a picture. I see that every night. Well, you actually don't, okay? This is a snapshot of the universe. It's taken by the Hubble telescope, and it's, it's, like, it's like you got a straw, but a straw that was two meters long, and you looked up at a patch of the sky, and obviously zoomed in a little bit, and this is what you would see. And, and this patch of the sky that we would look up and see is normally empty. It's sort of, it looks dark from Earth. But when you zoom in, you can see that this is what's out there. So I'm actually going to show you a little animation just to show you how far away this is because it, um, it really blows your mind. Scientists were, were, couldn't believe how far away this was when they saw it. So keep an eye on where we're going. Okay, that's what we see in the night sky. That's how far away the Hubble telescope saw, and they saw 10,000 galaxies in that tiny patch. Mind-blowing. Maybe David was right. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. You know, those ancient civilizations, many of them worshipped creation and not the Creator. They appreciated that it was some sort of intelligence, some sort of power that held the universe together, but instead of acknowledging God as the creative source, those ancient people revered his creation. They worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. But David points out that creation gives us a clue to the creator. In fact, in verse 3 and 4, you'll see that despite the stars being silent, God's magnificence and his majesty radiates throughout the earth. It's actually the same argument that the Apostle Paul uh, would write about a thousand years later. He put it like this. He said, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now you might think that those ancient people, they were primitive and they were quite ignorant. And, and they worshipped creation and not the creator. But us in our modern world, we're different. I don't know, don't know if we're actually that different. So around 25% of the world's population 
revere and respect elements of the created world. So Hindus and Buddhists right across India, right across Asia, they worship representations of the sun and the stars and animals. And in the Western world, many, many millions of people ignore the signs and the signals of God. They trust in things like the economy or in power or in science or in human achievement. And in the West, we don't make little idols and little statues that we bow down and worship, but certainly many people pursue gods of a different nature, money, power, possessions. People set themselves up as the center of their own universe and instead of recognizing God as the sustainer and the creator of all life. But David reminds his listeners, he says that creation makes a statement about who God is so that everyone can hear it. God reveals himself through his creation each and every day. So my challenge for you this morning is, is simply this, to look up. Because it's really easy in our busy lives to just be constantly looking down. We've got screens, we've got devices, we've got distractions, we've got troubles, burdens, worries, whatever. But it's good if we look up. It's good if we look up because we will see the sunrise. We'll see a sunset, we'll see clouds, we'll see skies, we'll see the stars, we'll see creation shouting out the glory of God. And when we look up, maybe we'll be awestruck will be amazed at how God reveals himself through his creation. Because God is still God. He is in control of his creation. The problem is this. That actually, creation doesn't fully reveal all of who God is. Sure, there's creative, there's intelligence, there's design, there's power, there's order, there's beauty, but it doesn't fully reveal all of his character. So in this next section of the psalm, David shifts gears a little bit. He shows how God reveals himself through his word. We're going to read um, the next section, Psalm 19, 7 and 9. Instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fear. Now, in David's time, he didn't have the whole Bible. He had what's known uh, for the Jewish people as the Torah. The Torah literally means the law or the teaching. And it's what we would call the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so the Torah is like a, it's a historical record of God's relationship with his chosen people. It contains a bunch of instructions, uh, some commands, some rules, some laws that God would want his people to live by. And so often we sort of just think of like the Ten Commandments, you know, do not steal, do not lie, do not murder, and the other seven, okay? And there's actually a number of other laws that God has given His people beyond what we classify as the Ten Commandments, just instructions on, on how to live. Now, I don't know about you, but certainly when I was younger, <clears throat> I saw instructions and commands and rules were basically there to stop me having fun. And so when I was a teenager, I went to a camp that was well known for having a massive slide. The slide was two stories high, it was really steep, it was very fast, so it would go down for like sort of about a story ahead of a plateau, and then it would go down a second story and then kind of a big kick out out the bottom. And at the top of this sign was, uh, uh, top of this slide was a big sign, all the instructions 
around the rules for how the slide should be used. And under, there was strict rules that campers were not allowed to use the slide without adult supervision and without all the correct safety gear. Well, I happened to be at this camp during winter, and it was really cold. In fact, it was so cold that it snowed. So my friend and I snuck out one night, and we poured water down the slide. And in the morning, we raced out. And guess what that slide was like? That was a sheet of ice. Like, have you ever seen the bobsled in the Winter Olympics? That's what that slide was like. So I went first, okay? There was no safety gear, no adult supervision, because remember, we thought that rules were about restricting our fun and our freedom. As I went down that slide, I remember thinking, wow, that first level's fast. Faster than normal. As I hit that plateau, I launched into the air. I'd sailed through the air. I didn't even touch the second half of the slide, and I landed with a terrible thump, a massive, massive landing on the base of the slide right on my tailbone. Now, I was a bit winded. I had sweaty eyeballs. But I had to be tough in front of my friend. So I kind of limped back up to the top of the stairs and uh, said that I just needed to go lie down in the bunk room, you know, and crawl back in my bed. I could not walk properly for three days after that. And I had a bruise the size of a dinner plate right on my butt which I didn't show too many people, it's just a few. But I learned the hard way that actually rules and instructions and commands can be quite helpful. And as I've studied the life of David, it seems that sometimes he learned lessons the hard way too. But yet David learned to love God's word. In fact, you've seen that psalm, it revived his soul. God's word brought joy to David, it gave him insight for living. Because David knew that this book is more than a book. It has the words of life. It searches our hearts. It speaks to our soul. It shines a spotlight on who God is and what it means to be human. This word gives us freedom and fullness and freshness. And David knew that God's word was perfect and pure. God's word was true and right. He knew that it was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. God, uh, David knew that God's word is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness. He knew that it would never return empty, that it would never pass away, that it would stand forever. I think that's why David could honestly say he loved the words of God. He said they were more desirable than gold, more sweeter than honey for him. You know, it's not just David who has loved the Word of God, who's found it more desirable than gold or more sweeter than honey. Down through the centuries, countless millions of people have been inspired and encouraged and strengthened and sustained by the words of God. The, the British Bible Society has just created a really short video just giving a snapshot of some famous people and how they've influenced, been influenced by the Bible. So we're just going to play that now for you. You probably know that the Bible is the world's best-selling book. Most people also know that the Bible contains the Old and New Testaments. But did you know that it's actually a collection of books and that it's written by 40 different authors over 2,000 years? It includes different genres too, like historical narrative, songs and letters, biographies, legal documents, parables and poetry. 
Written at the crossroads between East and West, the Bible influences cultures all around the world. In advertising, the law, the calendar, language, medicine, education, politics, in fact, everywhere we look. In art, it's long been a rich source of inspiration for musicians, sculptors, and painters. The Bible makes an appearance in some surprising places. Think of movies like Star Wars, The Shawshank Redemption, Magnolia, Pulp Fiction, or 12 Years a Slave. It may not be the Bible as we know it, but they're great Bible stories retold in new, creative ways. The Bible has also inspired countless people who shaped our culture. Think of Florence Nightingale, who was the founder of modern nursing and an avid Bible reader. Think of Elizabeth Fry, the 19th century prison reformer who taught convicts in Newgate Prison to read using a Bible. Likewise, think of Robert Rakes, who opened the first Sunday schools. Within a hundred years, his schools had 1.2 million students and were the first in the English state system. And don't forget William Wilberforce, who encountered Jesus while reading the Bible and was inspired to fight tirelessly against the British slave trade until it was abolished. Wilberforce wanted the Bible to be available for all people everywhere in their own language, so he helped found Bible Society. He also co-founded the RSPCA, the first animal welfare charity in the world. In more recent times, someone like Archbishop Desmond Tutu was inspired by the Bible to fight apartheid in South Africa. Others, like Archbishop Oscar Romero of El Salvador or Martin Luther King in the United States, were motivated by biblical ideas of equality and justice to fight for economic justice for the poor and racial equality for African Americans. It was King who famously quoted from the book of Amos in his I Have a Dream speech, saying, We'll not be satisfied till justice rolls like the waters. We will not be satisfied till righteousness rolls like a mighty stream. So what do all these people have in common? They all loved the Bible and knew that its message could have a great impact on their society. At Bible Society, we think that the Bible is still good for society, so we're advocating for the place of the Bible in public life. How could the Bible change your society? Yeah, when you look at those people, Florence Nightingale, Elizabeth Fry, Robert Rakes, William Wilberforce, Desmond Tutu, Oscar Romero and Martin Luther King, they they were inspired by the Bible. They and countless others were inspired by the Bible. They were changed by the Word of God so that they could go and change their world. And so maybe in 2021, it's a good idea to prioritize more of God's Word in our life. Now, I know you're thinking the Bible is a big book. It's, it's sometimes hard to get into, sometimes even hard to know where to start. So perhaps I could suggest to you this morning that you maybe look at a Bible reading plan. And if you go to bible.com uh, or a whole, or the, the, the Play Stores and stuff, you'll find uh, a Bible called YouVersion. Okay, and it's available on your tablet, smartphone, um, computer, etc. There's just thousands of Bible reading apps on, available for that. A whole bunch of reading plans which you can do, all different topics. You see there's some suggestions which I just copied for you, forgiveness, worship, anxiety, marriage, all sorts of stuff. Or if you don't want a theme, you could go with a, a biblical book. The thing about these plans is they're very easy to get into and you can pick the timing. You might just be able to want to do one for three or four days, two or three weeks or longer. Sometimes, you know, it's the start of the year and you're like, right, I'm going to get into reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And you get to January the 10th and you're like three days behind 
uh, or you get to like March and it's like, whoa, man, some of the stuff is numbers, hard going, you know? So sometimes taking uh, a little bit more of a manageable approach is a good way to go. So that's a couple of suggestions for you. Or you could look to get into uh, a home group here at ABC. We have a, a bunch of home groups that meet either weekly or fortnightly. They get together, they study the Bible, they talk, they discuss, they read, they reflect. So if you want to find out more about that, talk to someone who's wearing a blue tag. I think that'd be helpful for you to reignite your love for the Bible this year so that by December 2021, you could say with David, the Word of God is more desirable to me than gold, more sweeter than honey. You know, it'd be really easy for David to finish his song right here. You know, he's talked about how God has shown his glory through his world. He's, he's written how God has shared his goodness through his word. But what's mind-blowing is that God goes even further than just his world and his word, and he gives himself us. Sorry, he gives us himself. This is what David says. How can I know all the sins lurking uh, in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, through this psalm, David has seen the glory of God in creation, and he's read about the grace of God through his word. And David has this sincere desire to live for God, God, for God. In fact, you'll see there in verse 12 and 13, he's desperate to keep himself pure, desperate to be perfect, desperate to avoid that guilt and that shame of sin. But the reality is, he can't. David's like you and me, broken people living in a broken world. And as hard as, hard as we try, we cannot fix ourselves. Our sin holds us back from this fullness of life with God. God knew that we needed someone outside of our situation, someone outside of ourselves to bring rescue, to offer us redemption. So when David writes that last line, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, it's as if he's looking ahead to Jesus. And a thousand years after David wrote those words, God chose to send his son to earth. Jesus shows us fully what God is like. Beyond his revelation in the world and his word, Jesus shows us what God is like. But even more than that, he also promised to save us from our sins. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You know, perhaps, perhaps you have acknowledged there's some sort of creative design to the world. Perhaps you've even read some of the pages of the Bible, but you've never taken that next step and committed yourself to God. You've never invited Jesus into your life. You've never believed in his work and asked for his forgiveness for sins. Well, friends, I would encourage you to do that. 
Because God shows us his glory through the world. God has shared his goodness through his word. But he goes further than that. He gives himself to you. He offers you life through his son, Jesus. Maybe you have confessed belief in Jesus. Maybe you've accepted that offer of life that he has given you. And so if that's the case, I'd invite you this morning to echo the acknowledgement of David that Jesus is our rock and our redeemer. I encourage you to reflect on the sacrifice he made so that you could truly live, so that you could live life as it was meant to be. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus willingly paid the purchase price to release us from sin and shame. That's what a redeemer does. He pays the price. He brings freedom to the slaves. He brings rescue to the captives. He brings liberation to the oppressed. In fact, this is what one of the first Christians wrote. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So I'm just going to finish uh, this message this morning by taking communion together. It's a simple meal, just a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, but it remembers the price that Jesus paid so that we could have life with him. You know, when he wrote that psalm centuries before, David wrote about God's glory in creation. He wrote about God's goodness through his word, but he also wrote that he was in desperate need for a redeemer. And here we are today, 3,000 years later, in desperate need of a redeemer. So I invite you to take communion in your own time. There's tables at the front and a table at the back. And uh, just as you do that, as you get a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice, and go back to your seats, I encourage you to reflect on how you recognize that Jesus is your rock, and your Redeemer. Let me pray. God, we're grateful that you have revealed yourself through your world and through your word, through your creation, through your creeds, through the stars, and through the scriptures. In 2021, we just really want to look up to the heavens. We want to dig in to your word, and we want to give you glory. We're also really grateful that you've revealed yourself through Jesus. We want to thank you that he is our rock and our redeemer. We want to live for him each and every day. Amen.